on this episode of the End of Tourism podcast. To create conditions for intercultural dialogue. And what is required for that mostly is time and disposition. So it's impossible that you could really know a place or a person if you have uh, only enough time to take a couple of selfies and then run to the van for the next stop, no? So uh, slow pace for sure is needed, disposition and openness for the encounter of what you know, and curiosity to see what is growing on the cracks. Welcome to the End of Tourism Season 2, Mexico. During season one, which is available in English on all major podcast platforms, friends and strangers throughout Mexico reached out and asked for conversations on what is happening in Mexico. With episodes in both Spanish and English, we have delivered. The episodes will touch on diverse themes, including gentrification, deforestation and climate change, displacement, spiritual and psychedelic tourism, ecotourism, hospitality and interculturality, the industry itself, and the place of workers in it. We speak to activists, scholars, storytellers, and workers in order to find out what is happening behind the scenes and what can be done about it. Season 2 is dedicated to our late friend and mentor, Gustavo Esteva, elder and co-founder of the Universidad de la Tierra in Oaxaca, Mexico. These episodes have been planned and organized in collaboration with our compañeros and compañeras at the Unitiera Oaxaca. They are dispatches from the resistance. On this episode, we are joined by friends from Oaxaca, Mexico, Maria Itaca and Sergio Yeo Beltran. Born and raised in Oaxaca, Maria has a major in English language and literature from the National Autonomous University of Mexico, UNAM, with a specialization in translation. After many years of working for tourism-based projects, she now works independently, providing specialized content production services that create authentic, soulful material that aims to benefit the places where the work is being done. Sergio Beltran Arruti, better known as Yeo, was born and raised in Mexico City. He moved to Oaxaca in 1997 to support and learn from indigenous communities. Sergio is the co-founder of the Universidad de la Tierra in Oaxaca and of Herramientas para Buen Vivir AC. In 2010, he was part of the pioneering team of the art of hosting meaningful conversations in Spanish and has organized multiple intercultural meetings around the world using these tools for dialogue. Together, we discuss the invasion of post-pandemic tourists and expatriates in Mexico, the consequences of gentrification in Oaxaca, the drought here, the idea of travelers versus tourists, the eco-washing of the tourism industry, and the McDonaldization of tourism. We then continue with themes of cultivating versus consuming culture, worker solidarity in the tourism industry, the notion that charity is not solidarity, and bringing a foundation of philosophy to the tourism industry. Almost five years ago, a friend of mine mentioned a statistic that in the Centro Histórico of Oaxaca, the historic center, 85% of the economy was tourism-related. Since then, tourism has only intensified in this place, as it has in many others, operating as the world's largest industry. 
Now, what this means is that the majority of people who work in the Centro Historico are working in tourism-related activities. Not every business is geared towards tourists or sells their goods or services to tourists, but the vast majority of the money that passes through there are tourism dollars. There might still be businesses specifically tied to the community and not tourists, such as clothing repair, hardware stores, butchers, and libraries. But it is the flow of money through tourism that makes up that 85%, probably now closer to 90% or 95% at times. Caught up in the consequences of this massive change via gentrification, touristification, and displacement are the people who work in this industry, often doing what they can simply to pay the bills, to eat, to pay rent, to pay for their children's livelihoods, and in some instances, to honor their home and their culture. Eventually, though, something has to give, and it's usually the very reasons that people have of visiting a place, such as the local hospitality, culture, and cuisine. This is the theme of our conversation today, the question of the workers. So welcome, Maria. Welcome, Yeo, to the End of Tourism podcast. I'd like to start by asking you both what has changed in your lives here in Oaxaca. Maria, you're a native Oaxacan. Yeo, you're originally from Mexico City, but Oaxaca has been your home for at least 25 years. The three of us each of us has worked in the tourism industry for many years. And I'd like to ask, what are the most notable changes you've seen in the city as a result of tourism in your lives and in your time here? Well, hello, Chris. Hello, Yeyo. Hello to our audience uh, listening today. And, well, I think Haka is right now a bit of a ever-changing animal. Very, very hard to predict after the pandemic, things have changed a lot. I thought, you know, it was going to be empty and everyone was going to be broken. But now it seems that there are a lot of very new businesses uh, blossoming. A lot of them are not entirely local. So you can see there is a big migration of uh, digital nomads, but also other entrepreneurs, people from northern Mexico, but also of other parts of the world. So... Um, yeah, it's changed a lot in the last years, but it has been changing a lot since I was born. So I'm kind of used to it, but I think these last years have been way dramatic, way more dramatic than before. Oaxaca used to be a very peaceful town of cobblestone streets, and now it's really starting to have a very, very not big, but sort of medium-sized city vibe. And yeah, but it's not so peaceful, a lot of traffic. A lot of noise. And of course, the, the prices and everything are increasing and poverty is also increasing. So it is uh, the extremes are just going further and further between each other. So it's a, a very dramatic moment for Oaxaca right now. Mm. Hello, Chris. Hello, Maria. Thank you for the invitation to this conversation. I was adding to... All what Maria have mentioned, I will say, is also the change in the local businesses is very notorious as well. In the last 10 years, I've seen disappearing a lot of local shops. And I think we were all proud of living in a city where the, your main uh, shop for food was the local market. 
markets are tending to disappear in Oaxaca or gentrify and become more another provider of services for tourism that are supplying local population. And the demographic have changed a lot. There's not only because of these snowbirds that we already had in the past, now the digital nomads that are taking over with all the gentrification that come with that, but also the local migration from rural population coming closer to the city to get involved, getting jobs, cheap and, and terrible jobs, mostly in the industry of tourism. And um, by, as I was listening to your introduction, I was thinking that um, what had happened in Oaxaca, especially in this city, but also other points of the states, like certain cities in the coast or in the Isthmus region, where tourism became the main economic activity, is that the whole economy, the whole local economy, is satelliting around the, the season and the fashion of tourism. Because even if you're not a direct provider of tourism, your main clients that are the neighbors, their income depends on the flow of cash that come with the tourists. So um, that's a big impact that I have seen. And in the peri-urban area as well, we were lucky enough to have a very rural periphery of the city and, and peasants communities surrounding the city that more and more are transforming Dolorating in a very speed way into dormitory hometowns. You know, the people that live there go back only to sleep because they make their life and their work in the main city. Hmm. That's the, what I will put as the main changes for now. Yeah, and also I would like to add, it doesn't seem to be planned. None of this, you know, specifically when it comes to urban planning, it's growing, but there are no plans to actually, you know, develop the city in a, best, a better way. So all these rural places that you just mentioned are just growing up, but not, you know, aesthetically or, you know, friendly to the environment. So, of course, you can see a drastic shortage of water, Uh, you know, of course, global warming is everywhere, but now here the season, Oaxaca has a, a sort of eternal spring weather. But right now, you know, like in March, April, and probably right now in summer, it's really, really intense. So, of course, a lot of the water is becoming priority to sort of uh, uh, arrive to these hotels in the historic center, leaving all these areas around the city that are becoming the slums some of them, without water. So, mm. of course, that is a, is a huge impact of the quality of life of locals, mostly. Mm. Yeah. I remember being in a, one of the markets in the historic center of Oaxaca maybe four or five years ago, and they just finished some reconstructions on the market, and the sweet women who were preparing breakfast for me had some photos of old Oaxaca, black and white photos up behind them. And I noticed one and I, I asked them if I could look, you know, look closer and they said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so I took a, a closer look and it was a photo of campesinos or peasants in the, the Etla Valley, just outside of Oaxaca City, working in their fields. And their fields were flooded and inundated with water up to their knees. 
Okay, and then I asked the woman where this was from, and she told me. And so this was the one of the two major rivers that flow into and through Oaxaca City, the Rio Atoyac, which today is basically at best a sewer. Uh, has very, very, very little water, which is you know the translation we would refer to it in Spanish as, as black water. Um, but not even, you know, 50, well, I would say maybe 70, 80 years ago, that river was full to the extent that it would have flooded in the rainy season in order to nourish the soils of, of those towns. And today there's almost nothing left apart from the sewage, really. So uh, it is a huge problem uh, here and I'm sure in many other tourist cities as well. I'd like to ask you both what it's been like for you to working in the tourist industry in general and, and here in Oaxaca. What might be some reflections that you have about your time working with tourists and with other guides? Well, um, I've been lucky enough to always been a bit of uh, the captain of my ship. So um, I have always had the chance to sort of guide my own rhythm. But I've also had the opportunity to work with other guides and uh, with Yeyo somehow, not strictly with in tourism, but related. And I would say that there are two sides of this tale, no, of this story. And some is a very more artificial sort of concept of tourism, uh, more stiff, you know, more rigid. Uh, but also, uh, on the other hand, we have a more playful tourism, playful in the sense that they, they are more curious, they want to know other things, and I would like to call them travelers rather than tourists. So I think there are these two sides of the story, but I think uh, the, the tourist side, the bad tourist side is prevailing mostly. You know? So, of course, I've worked with guides that sometimes just throw at you all these data and very, you know, artificial experiences, or that are very keen to please the tourists without actually, you know, asking them to leave something like an intangible impact. I'm not meaning only money. Uh, but there are also others that find uh, some spaces to, you know, uh, create more interesting proposals where more hands-on experiences. Uh, but right now, I'm I'm not sure how how is it. No, that 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 I have told told just told you it's been my experience for the last uh, 13 years, which are my years as uh, working in this world. But I, right now, it's very hard for me to to explain what's going on because I, I see that are a lot of people are super aware of what's going on and they're very critical about all these bad practices but others that are that have the flag that they want to change things but they don't they just want to do it for the gram basically quite a hollow experience no they give a face to you know social media but as soon as the camera is off then they're back on their phones and, you know, it's not very deep. But, well, I mean, and not everything is that bad. There are some people that are still quite aware of the do's and the don'ts. So myself, as, as well as Maria was describing, has been lucky enough to be a freelance in my relation with tourism. So I, I'm lucky enough to choose what is the kind of work I want to be involved in, and I've been more 
working in what I call the academic tourism, you know, designing and hosting learning journeys and student abroad programs. <coughs> However, uh, more and more, uh, those kind of experiences are as like as being a normal tourist. You know? I, I also agree and, and celebrate the distinction between a traveler and a tourism. But even the different categories inside the industry of tourism lately are more and more close, are closer than ever between them. Because the main thing is that uh, tourism or traveling have become a consumption of an experience. And the best uh, uh, self-serve and an instant deliver that you can get the, is what people are catching more often. <clears throat> so on that sense, I, I have not, but I've been consultant for a lot of uh, restaurants and businesses directly involved in the industry. And what I could see there is that it's a very precarious uh, line of work. So there's a lot of these, what I've been calling the McDonaldization of the industry of tourism try to pack everything in one size of all, is also induced by these really precarious uh, sorts of jobs that do not allow people to specialize or to go deep in the learning of how to be in the service industry in a, with a better position. But we live in a city with a lot of cracks in the infrastructure for tourism, so that allowed us to curate and create a different <clears throat> activities and experiences outside of the mainstream. But it's not that common in the rest of the industry, I will say. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's this notion that tourists and tourism <clears throat> consumes, right? It consumes culture. And, you know, we've spoken a little bit about this on the pod previously, but there's some who will say that people arrive consuming culture in part because they don't have any where they come from or that there's no manner among themselves no achieved way of cultivating culture within the places they come from and so you know what do you think can be changed, I guess, in regards to the dynamic between the people that come to explore and learn about culture, whether they consume it or not, and the people such as ourselves who often work in ways to try to evade and even subvert and reverse the consumption of culture. So it's a nice metaphor that they consume culture, but the reality in my perspective is that their culture is consumption, and that is the source of the problem. So they co consume folklore, not culture, because that's what they know how to do. That's their experience of life is buying what I need, and the cheapest, the fastest, it will be the most convenient. No, so when you travel with that baggage, then you reproduce that wherever you go. So there's no point of contact or interaction with other culture or not even with another type of person 
because they are not open for that. What they want is a product, is a commodity to take home as a souvenir, and if it's, it's cheap enough, maybe two, so they could give one to the neighbors. You know? mm. um, but what I think Maria do in her work very, very um, brilliantly, especially around food, and I try to do with another source of knowledge, putting like mainstream students in contact with other ways and other source of knowledge, is to create conditions for intercultural dialogue. And what is required for that mostly is time and disposition. So it's impossible that you could really know a place or a person if you have enough, only enough time to take a couple of selfies and then run to the van for the next stop, no? So a slow pace for sure is needed disposition and openness for the encounter of what you know and curiosity to see what is growing on the cracks because without that curiosity you will not have you will not even cross with something different because the mainstream have all this scenography already in the tourist interesting point that cover reality and put the show in front of it no but if you're curious enough to look in the cracks of those scenarios, then you will probably find amazing opportunities of interact with other things. But again, the, you cannot label that tourism because it doesn't fit in this idea of consuming a commodity as cheap and as fast as I can. Mm. Thank you. It's very interesting. I love the concept that Yejo just brought to the conversation now because it's about curiosity. I studied English literature and I remember this teacher telling us that, well, he was quoting a writer, but he said, well, you should have a willing suspension of this belief. So that means to be to let yourself be surprised in a way. You know? So I think we have to redefine tourism in so many ways to think of tourism of this uh, like yeah, you said in a sort of a intercultural thing like I would like to say in a two-way cycle no, that goes on one way and then comes back but not a straight line but something that has to be around um, but also I think if we want to speak the capitalist language okay let's do it we can do that we have to be very flexible I would say to think of uh, solutions and uh, you know the basic concept of buying things is a bit of a negotiation always no so when you buy something maybe the other one is also asking for something and and I would say in this case is something we need to do We don't have to be passive service givers, you know. We can actually say, okay, you want to have this, but as an exchange, we need to do other things. And this is why I like to work with food, because food is the key for people to actually receive something, but also for the cook or for the other one who's on the other side, their reaction, the comments, is a way to get something back. So, Exactly, a contribution. So I, I think... We need to do that, but we also need people to be aware. And that goes particularly for a tourist or people willing to arrive to a culture to understand the context of this culture. No? And in this case, in Mexico, uh, sometimes people say, oh yes, Mexico is such a chaotic place, and they seem too aware to the point that they start romanticizing our chaos. Mm. No, And I don't think we should romanticize our chaos, but we should be aware that sometimes... 
that the tourist services are so keen to please, but they're keen to please because they really want to thrive, to survive, to keep going. And you have to be aware of that and not take advantage of it. And sometimes for the people here, it's very hard to set boundaries sometimes. So it's very important for the ones coming to be aware. But I would say for us here, and that's something I, I think Yeyo and I have done before, to sort of say unapologetically, say, okay, stop, let's have a break, let's, let's understand, let's create another way to do things. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'd like to touch on the political culture of Oaxaca, which is also very chaotic, it seems, at times. But specifically, the notions of solidarity that exist and that, that were on display very strongly in 2006 when the city was fired and, and most, if not all, government officials and institutions were basically kicked out of the city. And so within these notions of solidarity that have existed for a long time, not just within the city, but certainly in many of the villages in Oaxaca State and, and beyond, how do you think that people working within the industry might be able to honor that sense of solidarity between each other, right? Even though a lot of them are in many places coming to only work for maybe a few months at a time, the high season they call it. Maybe they're not from the place that they're working in, right? Which makes these things generally a lot more difficult when the worker themselves sees the place as temporary. So what kind of actions might we be able to take as people who work within the tourism industry or who are at least touching it, the peripheries? How might we contend with this together um, because at the end of the day you know if tourism is 85 to 90 percent of the historic center of Oaxaca's economy the workers have a huge say in what happens there mm. right or at least they, they can or they could so what are your thoughts on that? Well, it wouldn't be very Oaxacan of me if I don't say <laughs> we have to close roads together, you know, in the, in the sense that spreading the word, communicating our experiences can always be interesting. No, Oaxaca, in a way, I always say to people coming to Oaxaca, Oaxaca is in the strict sense of the word, a communist state. Communist, not meekly speaking, but where co community is very important. So if we want to honor that spirit, Maybe we should just, you know, talk to a peer and say, hey, you know, what's your experience? Have you felt like you don't have a certain security in your work or in your job or things like that? And sometimes spreading the word, a uh, one-to-one -one thing. I would like to give you an answer that will solve <laughs> our problems at once, but I don't think it's very realistic. But, you know, hand in hand, head to head, talking and communication, I would say, is key to share experiences, but also like this, to promote awareness. We are entitled to have our own demands in a, with a healthy respect in the sense that not demands like, ah, you know, crazy, aggressive, but to know my work is valuable, no? It has a value and therefore this is why I reserve to give the same that I'm giving. Yeah, receive what I'm giving, no? So I would say that would be sort of a start, starting point. Sorry to be the party pooper here, but I don't see any possibility of solidarity in the sense 
of working class identity in the industry of tourism, nor in Oaxaca or any other part of the globe, because as very few industries, tourism really understood the parading of the capitalist system of the moment that is work with precarity in a scenario with endless demand and very limited offer and in their control. So the formal workers in the tourist industry are probably the the workers with formal workers with less social service services in Mexico. And they don't even want to dream about fighting for them because that implies them to stay in a work that nobody wants. And there's is not the main illusion of anyone to be the waiter of a grand hotel or to be serving tourists or cleaning their sheets um, for the rest of their lives. So nobody see that job as an attractive position to do a career or to ground on. And we're competing with the other one because I know that there's 20 people behind me that want my job. So. I would just want to resist as much that to get enough to jump to the next better job or better income, not even a better job. And I'm pretty convinced that the big majority of the people that work in the industry have the illusion that they will go out at some point of it. So in that sense, I don't see that solidarity. But however, if you think closely about this, that waiter that will not move a finger to defend his or her rights or their peers' rights is the same one that took the city for eight months and the barricade and feed their neighbors in 2006. But it was not being a waiter, it was being the neighbor of their barrio and that there's a sense of belonging and solidarity if there's a social fabric that is needed for solidarity to be expressed, it is not charity. Solidarity is not charity. You don't mind who you give your charity to. You just want to clean your soul. And so whoever receives the coins, it doesn't really matter. When you're giving solidarity, you know who is the receiver of your effort or of your sacrifice. Um, but the industry is designed to not allow that for, to happen mm. for the lack of an identity and because of the speed that staff and consumers change, you know? Like, awfully tourists remember, like, the magical place, a hotel room or a restaurant, and they come two years later and it's totally different to what they remember because it's like the magic of the moment. It's the same at the job level. It's the exciting of the moment, but you learn what you need to learn pretty fast and then you need to do it as quick as possible and as cheap as possible. Mm. So you don't want to stay and they don't want you to stay in the work. So I feel this precarious kind of on design of the industry. It's a requisite for it to maximize profit to have cheap workers that are moving all the time have no intention to stay. I would like to add, I, I don't think you're being a party pooper, Yeo. <laughs> you're like the angel of reality. Let's put it that way. It, I mean, what you say is, is very interesting. No? I think we have to be realistic and you are introducing a dose of reality and I think it's true. No, People are tired. 
right now, especially economy all over the world is crazy, you know, inflation. So, of course, everyone wants to you know, rescue themselves first. And like you just said, you need a, a social fabric in order to change or create this community feeling, of course. And I think I always like to never discard all the possibilities. And sometimes our greatest um, challenges can be our greatest um, allies as well. No? And I think social media is a necessary evil at some point, you know, because it has very, very bad consequences. But I would say lately I've noticed in Instagram there are a lot of pages that are very, some are quite radical, but very interesting, like, raising questions about tourism and colonialism and so maybe through them to find these spaces where people can we can reignite these feelings of the waiter over there and try to sort of transport this feeling into their jobs in their field and to bring as well a bit of philosophy like a philosophical foundation for the industry where we start seeing this service as a uh, way expanding our culture, but also making others to understand us better. Historically, I think the world has adapted with all the colonized countries, and it's a good way for us to say, okay, this is us, and you are not really understanding us. So maybe you know we have to you know raise from the ashes. <laughs> I think he's posting a very true reality that we have to acknowledge. It's very interesting what Maria have just said because the concept of service is curious because it's supposedly an industry of service, but that is what is not there. And the only way to restore that sense of wanting to serve the otherness is to recover the sacred dimension of being in service that is not possible when what you're in service of a commodity. So that's why this like more curated, personalized, based on curiosity experiences are more likely to give you a different result than a pre-pack tour or whatever mainstream way of entertainment that the tourism is offering in the world. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you to, to you both. Yeah, so much there. We need to start thinking about these things more deeply and, and maybe not just on a superficial level, but with, as you said, Maria, with a sense of philosophy, which, you know, might also bring with it the notions of what hospitality means or meant to our people ancestrally, how that's changed over time, uh, how those changes have also removed the community fabric right of a place and the people and what it might take to get back to that or to at least find a way to seed something new that resembles and remembers all of those things that are the basis for solidarity amongst people and not just workers right but people coming from abroad as well I'd like to thank you both deeply for your time today. And this is our, I'll just point out to our listeners, our second interview together. I'd like to thank you both for speaking both in your mother tongue and in English as well for our listeners. Um, might you have any final words before we depart? 
Well, I, I just want to add and something that we actually added at Acknowledge also in our first interview and conversation is well, we have to be always aware. No? I think awareness is a word that is very important to have in mind. I might sound very romantic now, I don't know, but I think to be aware of things, awareness is important, but also to remember we're all human beings, no, and we're all flying birds at some point of our lives, and you can find the other through you, and the other can find them, himself or herself through, you know, what whoever is looking at. So I think uh, in the end we have probably the same joys and pains so it's important to leave that clear despite mm. our cultural differences so that will be a way to start you know changing all these concepts transforming what we think uh, what we have taken for granted for these years after the pandemic i think is the moment to recreate redefine the, a new world and it's a very good chance to do this right now thank you Thank you, Chris and Maria, for the conversation and the invitation to be in contact with your listeners. I was thinking about this loop of this reciprocal loop of interaction that Maria is proposing, and I think that there's two things that is essential to have present to attempt to this different kind of relation between the foreigner that travels to a place and the locals. The first one is curiosity for both parts. Hospitality is not all, not only in unidirectional relation, like there's the joy of giving, that is what I get when I'm being hospicing you, right? The sacredness of being in service. Uh, that willingness of openness and that curiosity of what is the other have to offer me and what could I offer back, not in a transactional way, but in a bonding way. No, a mm -hmm. transaction, when you pay for a service, you're cutting your social relation with that person because I already pay you, I don't owe you anything. Mm -hmm. But when you are hosted by the other, there's no coin that could pay what you are receiving. But there's something that you could offer that might not be equal in value, but is as important for the receiver that is offering you something back. So that loop needs more reciprocity and less transaction to be a virtuous one and I think will help a lot the interactions between humanity now that we're moving around the world inevitable more than ever. Yeah, I, I think we should be less, uh, more travelers, less tourists. Hmm. To be responsible about that is very important too. Hmm. Thank you both. Is there a way that our listeners can either get in touch with you or find out more about your work online, perhaps? Yeah, about my work, it's all little glances of it concentrated in the webpage of the organization Herramientas para el Buen Vivir Hace. The website is buenvivientes.org. And there's a link there particularly to the Art of Hosting in Mexico webpage that, uh, that might give you an idea of what I do in this area of work. And you can also always reach me in my personal social media as Jejo and Wax with Y-E-Y-O-E-N-O-A-X.
Well, thank you, Chris and Yeyo and the audience for this conversation. This second one gave me a lot of food for thought, a lot of the things that Yeyo mentioned keep me thinking. Um, you can find me in Instagram. Basically, I, I'm, right now I'm more like in the consultancy side, although I sometimes offer experiences and I write. I write about food. So um, you can find links and link to my official website at, in my Instagram, which is Maria Itaka, so it's Maria, the name, I-T-A-K-A, -A, in Instagram. Perfect. Thank you both. And I'll make sure that our listeners have those details on the End of Tourism website when this episode launches. Take care. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you for listening to the End of Tourism podcast. If you'd like to get updates on new episodes, click subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. You can now support our work, ensuring it continues, and joining the conversation via our Patreon account at patreon.com slash theendoftourism. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash theendoftourism. You can also follow us on social media under the handle The End of Tourism. Until then, farewell, friends. <laughs>